Hello and welcome. I am Kim Keen, host of the One of a Kind View podcast. I started this podcast to share my journey of my past self, a woman who was struggling with leaving her teaching career and adjusting to stay-at-home mom life, to help other women with their motherhood journeys or their work-life balance journeys so they can let go, make themselves a priority without all the sacrificing. So if you're a regular listener to One of a Kind You, thank you so much for tuning into another episode. I'm so glad that you're here. If you're a new listener, welcome, welcome. I'm equally excited to have you join us. For all of my listeners out there, you know that the way this podcast usually works is I share a journal entry of mine, and then I share what I know now as a certified life coach and what I wish I knew when I was in the thick of the struggle. But today we're doing something a little bit different. We have a special guest with us, and I'm so excited to have her share her thoughts and her wisdom and her insight with you. She's incredible, and I think you're really going to love this episode. So without further ado, I am going to introduce her. Her name is Ziba Khan. We connected on Instagram. I was drawn to her from the work that she does with healing trauma, and she does Ayurvedic healing, which... um, I am just dabbling into, I am a Vata through and through. I think I said it right, I'm not sure, Uh, but she also is into meditation and yoga. And both of those things were pivotal when I first started my healing journey and really helped me to center into myself and focus on myself. And so I thought she is perfect to join us on one of a kind view. So I'm going to let her share anything that I might've missed in my introduction. First of all, thanks so much for having me on today, Kim. I really appreciate it. And you covered it all. I do it all. Ayurveda covers nutrition, diet, physical movement. Uh, There's always a spiritual component, be it meditation, prayer, or both. And then there is also the human connection side to it, our relationships and how they impact our physical, spiritual, and energetic bodies, as well as our emotional body. Yes, yes, all good stuff. And that was really the big chunk of what I was missing when I first started this. My healing journey was the spirituality piece, mm. and I didn't know it. I had the mind piece, I was developing the body piece and connecting those two, but I felt like there was still something missing, and it was a spirituality piece. So, um, in my mind, it was, oh, I you know, need to go get a Bible and read a Bible um, because I wasn't raised in a faith-based family. So we didn't go to church. We didn't pray. When things got tough, you know, you just put your head down and you barrel through it and you'll find a way to make it happen come hell or high water. But there is no greater being, no higher power that's going to get you through it. It's going to be you and only you alone. So I got my Bible. I started reading it, but that still wasn't, that still wasn't it. And then I discovered Reiki and crystals and all of these other holistic spiritual aspects. And I was just at that point, eyes wide open. And I was like, yes, this is it. This is the piece that I'm missing. And then a girlfriend of mine is very much into Ayurvedic medicine. And she was like, do you know anything about it? And I was like, no, do tell. So as I continue to evolve spirituality, I'm learning more and more. And I'm always fascinated um, by all the things that I'm learning. Yeah, and there are particular herbs in Ayurveda. They're not, we don't call them medicinal plants. Like ayahuasca is really, really popular right now, yes. right? Lots of people are going down to Costa Rica, to Peru, you know, and having these ayahuasca experiences. In Ayurveda, first of all, Ayurveda is an Indian science. It's an ancient Indian science of how to live life 
optimally so that you don't fall physically ill. Yes. So it's actually a preventative form of medicine. But it also talks about in the event that you do fall ill, how you can heal. Mm -hmm. And so in Ayurveda, we have three mind, body, spirit compositions called Vata, Pitta, and Kapha. And these are called your doshas. And we all have these three doshas. It's just a matter of which one's primary, secondary, and tertiary, and also what the ratios are. So you can have two people that are vata pitta, but the ratios are different. And so you're going to treat their their ailments differently, even if they have the same ailment. Their treatment will be different. So Ayurveda is is 100% customized. Mm -hmm. There's no one size fits all. If I've got two clients who come to me with hypothyroidism, you know, they've got Hashimoto's, they're going to have different protocols because they're different people. They're different women, right? And sometimes, you know, you can prescribe herbs in Ayurveda that have this heart opening effect. Um, There are herbs that you're not going to get high off of it per se, the way that you would, you know, with ayahuasca but you definitely have shifts within you and you have spiritual experiences as well. That doesn't mean that you're hallucinating or you're going to have spirits coming and talking to you, but Mm -hmm. there is, there are certain herbs in Ayurveda that will help to clear emotional blockages and that will give you a spiritual experience. There are herbs that will help you to clear deeply seated grief. And so when we take those kinds of herbs, we do have a spiritual experience. And that's one way in which Ayurveda can help to heal emotional imbalances. And a lot of us right now around the world are going through grief because of what COVID did to us in a variety of ways, Yes. right? We're mourning the loss of dreams and plans that we had two years ago that never Mm -hmm. came to fruition and in some cases are no longer opportunities. Mm-hmm. The time has passed, right? So we're mourning loss of those dreams. We're mourning the loss of the world as we knew it. A lot of our children have had milestones like prom, graduation, you know, going off to college, and they had to do it in a way that was so unfamiliar to us. It was done in a way that we never envisioned. They had little drive-by honking parties, yeah. you know? Right, <laughs> the same as actually being there in the beautiful dress, having all the fun. Yes, absolutely. And you know, thank heavens for FaceTime and for video. Yes. Uh, but again, it's just not the same. No, and I think something that's come to the forefront for a lot of us, especially as women, is as women by and large, we tend to be very tactile. Mm -hmm. We're very touch oriented and being able to see your loved ones only over video for this extended period of time is very emotionally trying. You want to hug them, you want to hold them, you want to see how tall the kids are, how much they've grown. And it's just not the same over video. No, not at all. Not at all. And And I think too, it's also created sort of an added pressure um with not being able to see people in person because then it's more responsibility placed on us you know maybe we had a 
child, uh, you know, teenager or a college age student in the neighborhood babysitting for us or giving us a hand so that we could get some of the things done that we needed to and the kids would be, you know, cared for and not plopped in front of an iPad or the television. And then that all came to an end. So then it was this never ending um, job, loosely job of being on as a mom 24 seven more so than we already were because then the kids were home doing virtual school. You know, the partner was home because they couldn't go into the office. And so what we used to have is like maybe a little bit of a reprieve to center ourselves, to get ourselves together, to take a moment kind of vanished because we had to reconfigure what that looked like. Yeah. And it's been, it's been extremely trying on us women. Mm -hmm. And there's stats all across the board internationally showing that I just saw a stat two weeks ago that said there's been a 122% increase in the number of inquiries made to divorce lawyers mm -hmm. in the UK. And internationally, there's a 70% increase in women initiating divorce. Yes. So we are fed up. I mean, we were already, a lot of us already were overgiving just because of how, you know, our culture in the West is, especially in the US, um, but also because of society and how we're raised. Yes. To begin with, right? We're supposed to nurture everybody else around us mm -hmm. and keep on giving and you keep on giving until you're totally depleted. Yes. And then you're just yelling at everyone. Yes. At that point, right? Yes. Then you feel guilty about it. Yep. And then we turn to things to self-soothe, whether yes. it's binge eating or it's, um, you know, binge watching Netflix or anything, you know, smoking alcohol, alcohol has mm -hmm. been, you know, there's been a lot of drinking and a very high alcoholism rate that's resulted from COVID. Yes. And again, it's from women. I've got female clients who come to me and say, Ziba, I can't fall asleep at night unless I have an entire bottle of wine. Mm -hmm. And I want to stop. Yeah. So we're doing a lot of things. We're treating ourselves in ways that are not the best for us. But it serves us in the short term. Yes. Right. Absolutely. And it absolutely serves us in the short term. And some days we're just trying to get by this week or today. And then yes. there's this constant change with school. Are the kids on campus? Are they online? Are we doing pods out of the garage? What are we doing? Yes. Right. And so now we have, as mothers, also become the liaison between school and how the children are learning and where they're physically learning from. Do they need a laptop today? Do they not? Are they on the computer right now because they're doing homework or are they playing? Yes. Right. So we're yes. constantly having to monitor 24 seven. Then we're trying to get dinner on the table and they're home. So it's lunch on the table, too. And it's breakfast on the table. It's yes. a lot. And we're being torn in so many different directions and trying to excel in everything that we do. Yes. So in Ayurveda, we talk about balance and balance being the source of healing. Mm -hmm. And so for our Vata Dosha people that I mentioned earlier, they have a lot of movement within them, mentally, physically, emotionally. So these are our people who have wonderfully creative ideas. 
because their mind's always moving, right? It's always thinking. And so they'll, they'll propose all these ideas, but they might not see them to the end. They'll start a lot of projects. Is that you? Oh, that's me. I'm not a through and through. Right. They've got great ideas, but they'll start knitting that scarf and three years later it might still be there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Um, so these are Vata Dosha people. So that's how they show up in the world mentally. Physically, they're going to have a lot of movement within the body. And so movement is the element of, you know, gassiness, if you will, in the digestive tract, or you look at the circulatory system, that's movement of the blood. So that's also Vata. And emotionally, um, they tend to be very intense people. Mm -hmm and um, some people perceive them to be flighty in a way but um that's simply how they are right and we're, we all have elements of vata in us and then we've got our pitta dosha people who are the earth elements of fire and water so they're super intense they make great leaders when they're in balance but when they're out of balance they're very bossy they turn into bullies. Uh, they're very loud. They're very aggressive, right? It's it's that power of fire, right? So they have a lot of energy, but it just has to be channeled smoothly so that you can maximize what you can create and manifest as a result of it. Pitta dosha people uh, physically get a lot of gastrointestinal issues because they have excess heat in the body if they don't self-regulate. So they're going to be the ones in the GI tract who get ulcers, IBS, IBD, Crohn's disease, uh, GERD, acid reflux. So our pitta people are going to be more prone to gastrointestinal issues. And emotionally, they've got tempers on them. Again, we're talking about the element of fire, right? So they're going to be short-tempered. They're going to be quick to ire and also quick to calm down. Mm -hmm. Whereas going back, our vata dosha people will be slow to ire, but God help you once they're angry because mm -hmm. they're going to stay there for a while. Yep. Right. So they're very tolerant, but once you push them over their threshold, they're going to stay angry for a long time. And last, we've got our kapha dosha people who are the earth elements of air and, pardon me, of water and earth. So we're looking at mud, if you will. And mud is very, very nurturing. If you plant a seed, you plant it in, in soil, right? You give it water and it grows. It's very stable. So our kapha dosha people are our very earthy people. They tend to uh, physically have a propensity towards putting on a lot of weight mm -hmm. because they don't move a lot like mud, it's stagnant, mm -hmm. right? So these are the people who really have to psych themselves up to get up and exercise. And they tend to be low on energy. They tend to be sluggish. Um, and physically, they're also prone to illnesses of the heart. So we're looking at cholesterol. We're looking at diabetes. We're looking at heart disease. Mm -hmm. um, and emotionally, they are super, super patient. And mentally, they are so calm. They're so even keeled. They give the best advice but they don't follow it themselves, mm -hmm. right? And so again, we have all three of these elements and to live an optimal life, the key is to balance these. So first you have to find out which doshas are predominant for you. Mm 
And you can do that uh, by going onto my website and taking the dosha quiz there or going onto anyone's website, frankly, and taking their dosha quiz. And that's your starting point. And then once you learn which dosha types you are, then you can work with a practitioner or an Ayurvedic doctor to help find out how you can balance your life in these different realms. And as moms, it's super important for us, especially in light of COVID, to take some time out to focus on ourselves. And what I tell my female clients who come to me really stressed out is all it takes is 15 minutes a day for you. Mm -hmm. And if you can't do 15, do it in 10, do five in the morning, five in the evening. That's all that you truly need to come back to you. And it's, it's just amazing, Kim, what a difference meditation can make. And it can yeah. be meditation of any kind. Like some of my clients, I'll actually put them in a yoga pose that they have to hold for five minutes. Mm -hmm. And that becomes their meditative practice. They're suffering from anxiety. So I'll give them a particular yoga pose to do to alleviate anxiety and do deep breathing. And I'll teach them how to regulate their breath while holding the yoga pose. And they say, Ziba, it makes all the difference in the world. I am screaming so much less at my kids. I sleep better at night. I wake up refreshed in the morning. And now my kids know when mama's got her legs up on the wall mm -hmm. to not talk to her. Yes. Right? And so that helps to set boundaries with the children too and to teach them that you're also important and that you matter too and that you don't just survive to be at the beck and call 24-7. Yes. And I always say that I want to be that role model for my daughters because I have two, a 12 year old and a nine year old. And when they were little and I was really struggling if through the years of where I was, you know, sharing the journal entries that I do, I was not in balance at all because I was so fixated on the trauma and trying to heal that. And it didn't allow me to be fully present for them. And I was in such this horrible cycle of people pleasing. And so I realized that the choices that I was making at that moment was it was showing my daughters that you put yourself last and you only take care of yourself when you are beyond depleted and there is the cup is bone dry, then it's okay to take care of yourself. But I said no more of that because I want them to see that whether you're a mom or you're a single person or you're in a relationship with someone, but you don't have kids yet, that your self-care is a it's a must. It has to be prioritized. And like you said, even if it's just five minutes in the morning and five minutes at night, just putting that boundary in place and showing them how to do that, that's huge. Absolutely. And it's something that they can pick up at this young age and mm -hmm. it'll help to alleviate any anxiety they might have around taking tests or going back to school in person or catching COVID. You know, whatever their fears might be, if you teach them coping tools like meditation or prayer it's a lifelong gift that you're imparting mm -hmm. to your children yes and yeah. that was really the key is that I started meditating and I it was so foreign when I first started and I used the calm app and they have um meditation for beginners and I did the seven day meditation and then I did the 21 day meditation and then I just did their daily guided meditation and it got to the point where I was then able to say, you know, I, I can meditate on my own now. I don't need the guided piece. So then I could just sit in silence and meditate on my own, but it was a gradual process. And my husband started meditating around the same time as me. He did start a little bit earlier, 
but we both see the difference in our lives since we've been meditating. And I can, I can tell who meditates and who doesn't based on how they're handling stress in that moment. Um, and it's just so, it's just so amazing, uh, what the power of meditation. It absolutely is. It really, really is. And the children will pick up on it too. If you got mm-hmm. a regular practice and you skip one day, they'll be like, mommy, you didn't meditate today. Did you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which goes to show that there is this very palpable effect that meditation has. And I mean, your, your sharing was just so beautiful, Kim, because people forget what you just described. The meditation is a practice mm-hmm. and it evolves. And so you can go from guided meditations to silent, self-directed meditation. And that there are many different styles of meditation. And some days you're going to be able to sit maybe for half an hour. Other days, three minutes into it, you're like, oh, I need to order shampoo. We're out of shampoo. Yes. Right? And we're running low on mayo. So, you know, these are going to be the thoughts that come into our head. And there's just going to be some days where we're just trying not to attach ourselves to these thoughts that are coming in. And after five minutes, we're like, okay, that's it. I really need to get up now. Yes. And start my day. And that's fine. Yes. That's fine. It doesn't mean you can't meditate or you don't know how to meditate or you're meditating wrong. There's no such thing. You know, as I tell people who talk to me, um, who come to me and say, Zeb, I really want to learn how to meditate and I've tried and I don't think I'm doing it right or it's not for me. I tell them the only wrong meditation is the one that you don't do. Mm -hmm. If you sit for a minute, you're going to get benefits from it. If you sit and just take four deep breaths and each breath, say you inhale for a count of four, hold for a count of four, exhale for a count of four and again hold for a count of four that's 16 seconds that you just took for one breath you do that four times you've just done it for a minute Mm -hmm. that's going to calm you down something as super basic as focusing on your breath for 64 seconds is going to calm you down and it can really shift your energy field absolutely right yeah So meditation is a practice, it evolves, and it changes based on your mood that day, in that Mm -hmm. moment. And there's no right way or wrong way to do it. And there's so many different ways of meditating. You can do Tonglen meditation, which is a Tibetan Buddhist meditation. You can do a chakra guided meditation. You can do a chakra healing meditation. You can do a mantra based meditation where you repeat something that's important to you over and over again. It can be a verse from the Bible. It can be um, a verse from your favorite song. It can be, you know, a couple lines from your favorite poem. It doesn't have to be religious per se, and it doesn't have to be in Sanskrit either. It can be in any language. It's just something that brings you peace. Yes. Right? And that's ultimately what it's all about. Meditation is, the intention of meditation is to bring us back to the present moment it's truly all we have yes right? and i often have clients say oh i could never meditate oh i can't turn my brain off oh you know that's not for me and so i think that there's a lot of i'll say misconceptions about meditation and because there are those misconceptions it can i'll say on some level turn people off or it feels intimidating to try but it's really 
Um, and that I've been meditating for over five years, and there are like those days where you're like, oh, I need shampoo. Oh, we're out of toothpaste. Oh, yes. I think I left the door unlocked. Oh, I didn't take the dogs out. And it's really the practice of just acknowledging the thought and letting it pass and coming back to focusing on your breath. And so there are some days where I still have that monkey brain and I just, you know, it makes me giggle because it's just part of the journey. It's yeah, just absolutely. part of the journey. Absolutely. And you got to trust too. And I remember a girlfriend might telling me this. Um, she said, Siba, if the thought is important enough, when you're done meditating, it's going to come back to you. You yes. will remember to order that shampoo and toothpaste because it's going to come back. Just don't attach yourself to it. And of course, I didn't believe her for quite some time. But I realized that when I did start to trust myself, then the thoughts would come back, mm -hmm. you know? And if it's gonna come to me during meditation, it's not the only time it's gonna come back to me. It'll come back to me after too, which then helps you to relax around your meditation practice and during your meditation practice. Yes. So I would like to speak now, Kim, about what you had mentioned earlier, energy healing and Reiki. Yes. So in Ayurveda, we have what's called the chakra system. Mm -hmm. And we have seven chakras that we focus on in Ayurveda, and those correspond to sections of our body starting at our root chakra, which is basically our pelvic bone, mm -hmm. all the way through the crown of our head. And they correspond to uh, different organs and different systems in the body. Chakra in Sanskrit actually means wheel. And it's the wheel that's formed by a lot of major nerve endings coming together in these seven points. And they're actually located within the center of our body. But if you look at a diagram online, it's going to correspond it to the spine because that's the easiest mm -hmm. way to show it. But it's actually not on our spine. It's in front of our spine. It's actually in the smack in the center of our body. And it's very fascinating because going back to trauma, a lot of clients who come to me with, for example, sexual trauma, their second chakra, their sacral chakra, will be off. They'll have infertility issues. Mm -hmm. um, they'll have endometriosis, fibroids, have cancer, have been told they need to go for a hysterectomy, uh, they'll have been diagnosed with HPV or, you know, all kinds of issues that correspond to that area. And they don't link it necessarily to their sexual trauma. No, it's usually not linked yeah. uh, because it's not typically what's in the forefront of our mind is the trauma. It's, you know, the, I, I always say it's the surface level sort of external things that are taking place currently in our surroundings yeah and so we've got the dots but we don't connect them that way mm -hmm. until sometimes an outsider points it out to us and so that's a beautiful way in which the ayurvedic system helps to tie in the emotional body with the physical body is if you haven't processed that sexual molestation issue that happened to you in the fifth grade then it's going to manifest somewhere in your sacral chakra on your second chakra, which is where the sexual organs are at some point in your life mm -hmm. in a particular way. And so we look at how can we clear up the emotional body? Sometimes forgiveness is required. Yes. Sometimes, you know, action is required and forgiveness is a hard one. It is. 
it forgiveness is. is really hard because we were raised being told whether explicitly or implicitly that forgiveness means that we condone the action right. some way somehow if we're going to forgive that means i'm telling you what you did to me was okay mm-hmm. but that's not the truth of it no not at all right and there are two two of my favorite definitions of forgiveness the first one's from the bible and it's uh, forgiveness frees us from the ties that bind us to the one who hurt us yes so powerful right i love that one forgiveness is for us it's not for him or her or them over there right yes it's for us it's to be able to just let things be yes and to release the past and to mm-hmm. release what happened. And then the second definition that I think is really beautiful is from Dr. Jack Cornfield. And he says, forgiveness is giving up hope for a better past. Mm, yes. You can't go back and change the past. You can't. And so many of us get mired in the quicksand of the past, of the what ifs, the should haves, the should not haves. Yes. Right? And that's where the voice of the inner critic kicks in. What if I had said this? I should have said that, or I shouldn't have done that, or I should have said that, or I shouldn't have said that. You know, all of this Mm -hmm. comes back and we beat ourselves up. And the truth is you can look at those opportunities and reflect, make amends where necessary, um, develop better skills going forward so you can treat yourself and others better. Yes. But really and truly, if you would put yourself back in that situation and choose differently, you deserve to forgive yourself because you've learned. Yeah. And the learning is the whole, that that's the gift of it really, because you've learned. So you're not going to allow that to happen again. Yes, absolutely. And sometimes forgiveness based on the severity of the transgression Sometimes forgiveness takes years. Yes. Right? It's not you just do it once and okay, now it's all good. But you can you might realize that it, it pops up at different times in life based on you being triggered by something. Mm-hmm. And so you keep releasing and you keep shedding. And you can talk to your trigger and say, you know, it's okay. I've let you go and I continue to let you go. And you feel a sense of peace wash over you. Yes. And this is where that spiritual element that you alluded to at the beginning also comes into play because when we believe in a higher power and whatever name you choose to assign to this higher power is your personal choice, whether you want to say God or you want to call it the universe or you want to say source energy or anything else. When we believe that there's a power external to us, we're able to surrender at some point. We feel Mm -hmm. good, it lowers our stress level. We do everything we can do, and then we surrender the rest. Mm -hmm. Because the truth is we can't control the outcome. That's right. Right? We get stuck there a lot because we seem to think that we can. Yeah, and in the U.S., in Western culture, but especially in the U.S., uh, we are a highly individualistic culture. Oh, yes. Right? And so we don't, as much as we are in community with others, we're super self-reliant. 
which is not always a good thing. And especially as women, we have tremendous difficulty at times asking for help when we become moms, because we feel like, well, everyone else is doing it on their own. Why can't I? Yes. When we don't want to be judged negatively and we don't want to appear to be, quote unquote, lesser than. Yes. Right. And so we suffer quietly. Oh, yes. And when we're able to surrender to a higher power, it makes life easier for us because as much as we have the ability to, to impact and alter things, the truth is we can't always get the desired outcome through our actions. It's like growing, growing a garden. You can plant the seeds, you can water them, you can nurture them, you can love on them, you can fertilize them, but in the end, you can't guarantee that that seed's going to grow into a tree and bear fruit. Yes. Or you can tend. what the fruit is going to turn out like. So um, it just makes me think my sister-in-law is into gardening now and she started growing vegetables, but the critters were eating the vegetables and she made a remark and she was like, and the carrots were misshapen. And it made me giggle because, right, the carrots are misshapen because <laughs> that's the way that they grow naturally instead of being put into a cone funnel in a, you know, corporate farm so that they grow and look normal. Mm -hmm. So they don't look misshapen, but it just shows that, you know, you cannot control the outcome of the garden, but you can do, you can do all the things to help it grow. But at the end of the day, you can't control what's going to happen with the outcome of the garden. Absolutely. We can tend to all the causes, but we can't guarantee that it's going to give us what it is that we desire. And when we can surrender to a higher power, it helps to relieve that that stress that we feel when we're so attached to that particular desired outcome. And that's again, where Ayurveda comes into play because you can pray. And in Ayurveda, we say prayer is you talking to a higher power and meditation is you listening Mm -hmm. to a higher power. Oh, I love that. Yeah, and so the effects are different, the purposes are different. And that's why in meditation, we sit in silence. Mm-hmm. You know, we clear the mind. Why? Why are we clearing the mind? So that we can hear what the voice of our intuition is saying. Mm-hmm. And the voice of intuition is the voice of a higher power. Yes. Right. And we say that um, I'm Muslim and I'm Sufi. And in Sufism, we say that uh, the voice of the ego yells and yells many times, but the voice of God whispers but once. Ooh, I love that. Yeah, so you gotta be ready yes. to hear, right? Because it's not yes. coming again, and you gotta be still. And in the Bible, there's also a verse that says, be still and know that I'm God, right? And so across all faiths, there is this sense of having this inner quiet so that you can receive. Mm-hmm. If you're cluttered within, you're not going to be able to receive. There's nowhere for the message to go. Yes. And that's where that self-care comes into place for us mothers. It's really, really important. How can we give to the little ones and what are we teaching them? That you go till you're depleted and drop? Right. Which no one wants that. Because at the end of the day, you're also going to be the only one there to pick yourself up. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And so a fun meditation, you know, that can be done with children is to teach them about the chakras, because the colors of the chakras, we have the seven chakras, the colors correspond to the seven colors of the rainbow. Yes. And so kids love doing this kind of meditation. 
and I don't have it up on my website, but if your listeners email me um, in the show notes and the links that you'll put up, you know, if they ask me uh, for the children's meditation, I'd be happy to send one to them. And it's something fun you can do with your children. And I have a lot of clients who email me and say the kids are now doing it on their own. And it's great. Yes. Yes. And that's great too, because like you said earlier, that is a lifelong skill. So once they see that they quote unquote can meditate, they know how to do it. They'll tap back into that naturally on their own when they feel like they need it. Absolutely. And when we are able to balance the chakras in Ayurveda, we say that your pran or your life force energy is flowing smoothly the way that it should. You take fewer breaths, you take deeper breaths, Mm -hmm. you have higher oxygen saturation and you're calmer. And when you are grounded like that in your physical body, you're able to come from a place mentally of clarity when you make decisions. Yes. Right. And that's key because I feel like so often, um, just on the day to day, there's so much mental, mental clutter there with keeping all the to-do list straight, keeping the kids schedule straight, keeping the household chores schedule straight, all of those things. And then on top of it, top of it, if you're in the midst of trying to work on healing trauma, that adds even more to the mental load that you have. And so um, it does not make for a good state to be making decisions um, when you're in that overwhelmed mental state. Absolutely. So the way that I work with my, my deeply traumatized clients is we pendulate because when we've been deeply traumatized, what happens is we dissociate from our body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, more often than not, our trauma occurred when we were little children and we were, mm-hmm. we were simply under-resourced. We didn't know, we didn't have the tools and the resources to process correctly what was going on around us. Yes. So whatever the adults were doing, even if they were doing horrific things to us or our physical bodies, we made it about us. We wronged ourselves Mm -hmm. because we only have two choices as little children. Either the person who is traumatizing us is wrong and bad or I'm wrong and bad. Mm -hmm. Now, if I make the adult caregiver wrong and bad, where am I going to go? Who's going to raise me? Right? Who's going to take care of me in this huge world? So they can't possibly be wrong and bad. It must be me who's wrong and bad. It must be me who's deserving of this treatment. It must be me who is unlovable and therefore deserving of this punishment. And then we grow up and we realize, wait a minute, that's not the way it had to be. The adults did know better and they chose Mm -hmm. not to do and to be better. And that's when we start addressing our trauma. And it's around that time as adults, Kim, that we realize we have separated from our physical bodies because the pain was just too much to bear Mm -hmm. as children. And so trauma work is at its heart really coming back into our bodies. And it's not until very often, it's not until we're diagnosed with something in our physical body that we start to pay attention 
to what happened to us, you know, yes. and when we're diagnosed with Hashimoto's, I always ask my clients, why? Why your thyroid? Because according to the chakra system, the thyroid corresponds to the seat of communication in the body. And when we're diagnosed with Hashimoto's, energetically, we're not speaking our truth as women. Mm. So what are we suppressing? You know, whose expectations of us are we living up to? Because these are not ours. Why are right. we not speaking up, right? Mm -hmm. Whose version of life are we living? Who's living yeah. vicariously through us rather than us living through our physical body? Mm -hmm. uh, breast cancer in the chakra system is linked to overgiving, overnurturing mm -hmm. of others. And so when people come to me with these physical diagnoses, we always go back and do their trauma work as well, because that's where it started. Yes. And when we can heal that trauma, then we see effects on the physical level. And it's not only talking through things, but it's also using meditation. Sometimes we do tapping as well mm -hmm. to help to balance the marmas or the meridian points of the body. Because Ayurveda is not about reliving your trauma every day and talking about it with your therapist and going yes. back into that zone, right? But it's pendulating. It's just recalling that pain and as soon as you feel like it's too much you swing out of it like a pendulum yes. and yes. when you feel strong enough you go back into the pain a little bit more deeply the next time and when you're reaching your threshold again you swing back out of it so we pendulate in and out of the trauma until we can talk about the event and it's no longer fueled with that 100 percent intense emotional charge and that's when it releases from the physical body and our diagnosis changes. Yes, absolutely. So I keep muting myself because the dogs, it's like they did a good job of being quiet. And now they're <laughs> back at it. So it's just like, okay, dogs, thank you. It sounds like someone's in the driveway, but where I locked away in the closet, I can't see. <laughs> no idea what they're going crazy about, but that's why I'm like, oh, I want to comment, but it's like, oh, if I do, you're, all you're going to hear is dogs barking like crazy lunatics. But yes, it's so, and that's really my philosophy too with coaching is that I did therapy and not to knock it, but we just stayed stuck in that place. And I was in therapy for over a year and a half and I was felt worse off after a year and a half of therapy than when I first started. And the only solution that she had was to put me on medication, but I knew that medication was not the answer because a, I already felt like a failure. And for me to have to take medication would have been the epic fail, the ultimate fail fails. But her response was, well, we'll give you stairs to walk out of the ditch so that you're not climbing your way out every day. And I looked at her and said, I will climb my way out of this damn ditch every single day if I have to, before I use medication to give me stairs, because I guess on some level, I knew that it wasn't going to change the codependency. It wasn't going to change the anxiety. It wasn't going to change the childhood emotional neglect. It was just going to, on some level, numb those things. And it wasn't until getting to the root cause of those issues, the pattern of codependency, the pattern of anxiety that I could change those things on a deep level, not just a surface level. And so everything that you're saying, I'm like, yes, amen to that. I love it. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So this has been amazing. And I've learned so much. I'm like, this is, I'm like, you need to come back and tell us more um, because uh -huh. I feel like we could talk for hours and hours and hours and we're just scratching the surface. So if there is one um, I, you've given us lots of takeaways. One, meditate, even if it's just breathing for 64 seconds, 
start there. Self-care, 15 minutes of a day. If you can't do that, five minutes in the morning, five minutes in the evening. Anything else that you feel like anyone listening to this podcast episode needs to know to get them to continue moving forward or just getting out of that feeling of stagnation? I think that would be to make the most regular activity that you have that you find to be mundane, make that a meditation in and of mm. itself to ground you in the present moment. God rest, God rest his soul, Thich Nhat Hanh, the mm -hmm. famous Zen Buddhist monk, talked about washing dishes as a form of meditation. So even something as mundane as the chore of loading the dishwasher, you can turn into a meditation. Really feel the soapy, sudsy water on your hands. Feel the sponge. Feel the temperature of the water. Feel where it's hitting you on your hands. Feel your entire body as you're bending over. Are there parts of your body that are tight that need to be stretched out? Or are you limber? Are you carrying tension in your shoulders? Or are you relaxed? And so even if you can't carve out that five minutes in the morning or in the evening, you can incorporate that present moment awareness throughout your day, so long as you come back to making these regular onerous chores, a meditation and an offering yes. of their own kind. Yes. Oh, I love it. So we will have all of the ways for people to connect with you in the show notes, website, Instagram, any way that they need to connect with you will be there. And you've already said they can email you. So I know that you're open to DMs on social media. Um, it's been amazing, amazing, amazing having you on. So thank you so much for taking the time to come share everything that you have with us. And if you are listening and you feel like a friend would benefit from this episode, please feel free to share because the more the merrier. And if you would be so kind to leave a review for one of a kind you, I would be so grateful. I read all of the reviews to make sure that I continue to give you what you're looking for with this podcast to ensure that it is a source of support, guidance, resources, um, that will continue to be of benefit for you. So thank you so much again for taking the time to tune in. Thank you again, Ziva. It's been lovely. I adore you. You're amazing. Aww. And so thank you so much. And we will see you next week on One of a Kind You.